This is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, Lorenzo? Wonderful. We are about to get on a plane literally in a couple of hours. We have a family wedding in Atlanta this weekend, so that's very exciting. We have yeah, been on a plane exciting. since last summer when we and went I've to never been there. Las Vegas. I have been to, to Atlanta, but actually not since like the 90s with yeah, my last boy. Yeah, going to the um, Coca-Cola Museum. You're such a tourist. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I, I keep hearing about it, but I don't know. I don't. We'll I, see. Um, we have much to discuss, although it's all sort of centered around the same topics. I think we're going to touch a little bit on the whole "Don't worry, darling" thing because I know we've touched on that whole brouhaha, but it really kind of erupted in a funny way this week when they, the cast hit the red carpet and the photo call at Venice. And uh, so we'll just talk a little bit about that. But honestly, that seems to be dying down. I think the Harry Styles spinning on Chris Pine thing was the last straw. <laughs> killed the whole <laughs> yes. thing because it, it just got ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I feel like we should take a moment that it's weird to say this, but we're recording this early in the day. And the uh, it's Thursday. It's the 8th of September. And the news right now is that Queen Elizabeth is seemingly on her deathbed all her children have been called prince mm-hmm. william has been called to her at she's at balmoral and apparently harry and Meghan are also traveling to balmoral to be with her because they were in london they were supposed to do an event right. tonight so this podcast may drop at after something happens and i just want to acknowledge it we right. we see that this is happening and um I think you know they just need to announce it i'm sure she already passed i don't know I um uh, but I'm not going to sit here and uh, memorialize her or anything like that, because I think it's a little weird when Americans get all romantic about the Queen, because we kind of fought a war not to have to do that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's sad. It's, it's as a figurehead, um, I just retweeted, I kind of rolled my eyes because this journalist who I took to be a millennial, he seemed to be about 40 years old, um, said that we were the generation that grew up with her as Queen. And I was what? like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Literally every generation, like... Only the very oldest baby boomers even remember a time when she wasn't queen. History is a problem. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, she's literally been queen for 70 years. So almost everyone on the planet grew up with her as queen. Yeah. Um, And that alone uh, makes her passing, you know, significant. I've said before, like, I come from an Irish Catholic family. My father was first generation. My mother was second generation. And there was no great love for the royal family growing up in my household, like a lot of Irish and Irish American families. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I tend not to fall all over, you know, romanticizing her or that institution, but, she is a significant figure. She Absolutely. is one of the yeah. most significant figures of the 20th century. And the length of her tenure yes, exactly. speaks for itself. We can all say, you know what? It's a silly job. She doesn't do that much work. She's pointless and blah, blah. And all of that. But I, she chose to do that. I mostly life. agree yeah. with it. But she stayed with it for longer than anybody else stayed in that job. And her value as a um, cultural figurehead to the the British, especially. I mean, she's on all their money. And when she goes, they're going to have to change all their money. You know what I mean? Like, we oh, don't right. have a figure like that in America. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, she's Jesus. literally on yeah. all their money. Um, so, not all their money, but you know what I mean. Someone from England's going to correct me on this, of course. But you know what I mean. So, she's an important cultural figure. And that's all. I'm just acknowledging this, that, you know, this is a, a serious 
and for, for many people, a solemn time. And it may actually happen while in the moment between right. we record this and it winds up getting uploaded today. Or who the, knows? the yeah. old girl has been known to hang on for plenty of times in the past. So who knows? Um, and now uh, we're also going, the bulk of this podcast is going to be devoted to House of the Dragon, recapping the, uh, slightly recapping the third episode, which is the one where they went on the hunt. And um, also we're going to get into Lord, um, not Lord, I want to call everything Lord of the Rings. I know, seriously. I want to call everything Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, the Rings of Power on uh, Prime Video. If you tuned in or downloaded last week, you know that we went on a little bit of a rant explaining why we weren't a little bit <laughs> covering the show. And uh, then the very next day we came out, or two days later, we came out with with recaps of the first two episodes. So let us explain a little. <laughs> first, I want to explain because I did hear some chatter that we were being drama queens about this. And um, we had reasons for going sort of going public with our complaints. The thing if you didn't listen um, we got screwed out of screeners by Prime Video, and I, I don't just mean that they didn't allow us to have screeners. They kept us on the hook for two weeks and then told us the day before the embargo lifted that we weren't getting them. And that was just a shitty way to treat us. And the reason we went public with it was, uh, number one, we had been talking. If you go and click on the Lord of the Rings tag on our site... We have extremely excited posts for every character poster, every teaser trailer, every announcement. From the minute this was announced, we were all over this one. And we felt a need to sort of explain to our readers and listeners, look, right. we know we've been talking about this a lot, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do it. A show as dense as that, with as many references as that. Um, sure, I could, uh, or we could watch it the same time everybody else watches it and then work really hard to try and pull something together. Uh, but it would wind up going up days later when people are no longer interested in reading recaps. And the likelihood is that it would have been rushed and I would have missed a lot. We would have missed a lot of things. As it is, I, I look back at the first two recaps and there are one or two points where I'm like, oops, I completely missed the point of that one. <laughs> uh, especially the elves. I, I mean, the dwarves. I apologize to all you Tolkien fans. I should have realized that Doran and his father were looking at Mithril, not the Arkenstone. That was very stupid of me. Howevs, <laughs> I just want to explain that um, after we made an announcement on social media, which got a lot of attention that we weren't covering it and that Amazon kind of screwed us over. Again, this was on purpose. It was literally for professional reasons because we wanted... Amazon to know that they had screwed us well, over. And we explained that Amazon wasn't the one directly no, uh, handling was... the, uh, the the screeners. It, they hired a PR company. And the whole confusion, whatever you want to call it, uh, was the, the PR agency. They're the ones who screwed that up uh, for us. And I also want to mention that we usually get uh, screeners from Amazon Studios um, ahead of time. Like, we get them all the time in the... Every in, show they have. Yes, they showed up all the time in our uh, mailbox. But And we thought, because we're so busy doing other things, we thought that the the Rings of Power was going to be the same thing. We, they were, it was just going to show up. Right. But it didn't. Uh, and we kind of... I mean, this is a little bit of our fault. Agreed. That we waited kind of long. waited until almost the last minute to say, hey, where is it? We haven't received it yet. So, and you don't do that because right at the last minute, because they're busy doing other things anyway. But so that was our screw up. Uh, but also the PR agency uh, just, you know, kept ignoring our emails or, or you know, not not explaining 
uh, when or how we were going to get them. So not to rehash everything we said last week, but um, the minute our podcast last week explaining all this was uploaded, the screeners for the first two episodes landed in our lap. And I mean, we were still kind of screwed. I had to uh, write for 10 straight hours of taking notes, researching, Mm -hmm. and putting them together. And it was very, very... That's not the best way to do a recap. You really want some time with it. Um, And we got to... And the reason we did that is because I know we had already announced that we were over it and everything, but we really were excited about this show. And then when we saw the screeners, we were like, oh, God, we got to write about this. I mean, that's the thing. We, we got the screeners. We're like, all right, let's watch them first. <laughs> and then if we like it, right, then we, we make a decision here. Uh, and then we loved it. Now, the only the first two episodes showed up. And I think this may have been mentioned in the comment section on our site, I think one of us put this in there that we weren't sure if we were going to get more. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to report that we are getting yes. more and, and we I, will have a recap for episode three up tomorrow. Yes. And I do want to acknowledge that, uh, after all this happened, uh, Amazon studios, um, sent us an email and apologized for the whole thing and explained that what happened and, you know, was very sorry that we had to go through all this. Yeah. So, Yes, they did apologize, and and uh, and not just because they apologized or they sent the screens. We actually like the show, and we want to talk about it. Yeah. So sorry for the drama, the confusion. Yeah. But we, it really was not just us having a hissy fit. We wanted, uh, first off, we wanted Amazon to see this, and we wanted our our readers to know that we were having some difficulties. And I sh- we're going to drop this, but one more thing is that after we went public on, on social media, a couple of you know pretty high-ranking film critics and mm-hmm. television critics got in touch with us and said, listen, we've heard about that PR um, agency, and they've been a nightmare to deal with for everyone. Right. So um, anyway, that's a long way of saying, disregard everything we said last week, we will be recapping the Lord of... Um, the Rings of Power. We're just going to call everything the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, seriously. And um, what we thought we would do today um, it, uh, is talk about, uh, you, you. we have recaps of the first two episodes of The Rings of Power, and you can find them on our site, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, but what we're going to do today mm-hmm. is compare uh, The Rings of Power with House of the Dragon because they are so clearly setting themselves up for that. Com- they want this comparison. Each of those shows is attempting to spur on that conversation. Uh, and I've seen three episodes of The Lord of uh, oh my God, The Rings of Power <laughs> and four episodes of House of the Dragon. But I will not spoil the episodes that haven't aired yet. But I do have a general understanding of where each show is, is going now. Um, and we're also going to talk about the um, racist and misogynist backlash that both shows have been getting, but especially The Rings of Power because of the diversity of its casting and because Tolkien can be so widely misinterpreted as a um, white only. It can be widely misinterpreted that there are only white people in his stories or that the only people of color in his stories are the bad guys who work for, you know, Sauron. Right. Uh, And that's a very 20th century reading of his work. And we're going to get into that whole thing as well. Okay, but before we do that, the drama of um, Don't Worry Darling, which, just a real quick recap, um, directed by Olivia Wilde, she eventually had to fire Shia LaBeouf from the 
or she claims she fired him from the production and Harry Styles was brought in and then Olivia Wilde left her fiance Jason Sudeikis for Harry Styles <laughs> while the film was shooting and all of that is drama 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 and there were rumors throughout that for especially Florence Pugh who was stars in the film uh, was not getting along with her on set. And, I, you know, those are rumors, and I, we try not to trade too much in unsubstantiated gossip right. because there's so much of that out there. Uh, the, but the, think, the, the general line was that she uh, was friends with Jason Sudeikis through Zach Braff, who was her boyfriend up until a couple of months ago. Um, and so she was, you know, she took Jason Sudeikis' side, and uh, Olivia, you know, she was not having problems with Olivia Wilde. All that aside, though, what really turned it into drama, drama, drama was when Shia LaBeouf, of all people, and I will, let's just put this right here. He is an awful person who has been accused and more or less admitted to abusing women in his life, to being, you know, physically abusive to his girlfriend, FKA Twigs, his former girlfriend. Um, There's all kinds of charges and allegations against him. And, you know, he's acted terribly in public for over a decade now. So... It isn't great to use him as your launch point for a discussion, but he did reveal some stuff that was kind of hard to deny. Or ignore. Yeah. Or ignore. Olivia Wilde said in a recent interview that she fired him because of his problematic uh, act. You know, she made some implications that it was more or less a Me Too sort of times up kind of thing, like something had happened on set. And he came out. He came out with a, 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 a statement that said, no, I actually left because I didn't think it was working. You didn't fire me. He had texts and videos. He had texts and emails that pretty much backed up his entire point. And most damning of all, he had a video of Olivia Wilde she sent to him trying to convince him to stay on the production and referring to um, Florence Pugh as Miss Flo and saying Miss Flo just needs to get over it in a very dismissive and to be perfectly honest, kind of unprofessional way for a director to act. And um, send a video of all And things. send a video. Like, that's the part I about this. Oh, and we should also mention that, again, I think we brought this up last week at CinemaCon when she was first launching the movie. This was a couple months ago. Jason Sudeikis sent, um, served custody papers on her while she was right up. I mean, just then, yeah. ugly, ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly, ugly. And look, listen, if you're not into this sort of uh, celebrity drama, fine, more power to you. But this is delicious and I love every minute of it. When it's all laid out for you when you don't have to... It all happened in front of everyone. Like, right. there's no, maybe this happened. It's not even gossip. It's literally well, stuff the that actually are right, happened. Right there. And, right. And when you do a press conference like they did the photo call, um, you know, the reporters are there and, right. they, and they're tweeting everything, every move, so, every look. Yeah. They had the press conference at Venice and Florence Pugh wasn't at it. And they Olivia Wilde was, said that she had scheduling right. conflicts. Meanwhile, at the exact same moment, Florence Pugh was wandering around Venice in the cute little outfit, waving an Aperol spritz at cameras. And it was very, very clear. And then, you know, it came out that Florence was not going to do, she was going to do one red carpet appearance, and then she was not promoting this film at all. And it's it's opening, I think, in New York this week. She's not going to be there. Mm. Um, I just find the whole thing interesting. Uh, I've, it, it, all right, let's just say this. It sucks for Olivia Wilde because you, you're creating something, right. and then instead of talking about your creation, your project, you're, you're just putting out fires <laughs> because they're happening and they were happening, you know, pretty much every minute. Every, right. I mean, everything was happening. Um, but it does, yeah, and, and the, especially Olivia Wilde because she went on and on and on about being a director, a female director, and female actors and female 
you know, artists and supporting She's and protecting her female star under the bus, right? And at for the same an time, abusive man, right? And at the same time, you're doing all this uh, allegedly to uh, Florence Pugh. So it's it it it's really it sucks and it shows a lot. I um, I really liked her her film Booksmart. We gave it a rave review yeah. on our site, and I think she is a talented up and coming director. And unfortunately, the reviews on Don't Worry Darling out of Venice were like, mixed. it's just all right. It's no yeah. big deal, and it's certainly not worth all this um, drama. I do want to address, there's this persistent point of view that, oh, no one will be making a big deal out of this if all of this was a male director. And I'm sorry. Yes, we would. On that level? No, I don't think so. Yes, we would. If a male director's production was this messy? Yeah. If a male director was served custody papers by his ex-wife on a state, if a male director left her his fiance and mother of his children for a pop star that was a decade younger than him... Yes, we would all talk People about this. People would talk about it. Yeah. I don't necessarily find any of this scandal. Like, I don't care that she's with Harry Styles. Maybe I, judge That doesn't it. scandalize me, but let's not pretend that this isn't good, juicy celebrity drama. Right. Maybe judge it differently, but you people would still talk about it. Of course they would. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah. And if there was a video of a male director bad-mouthing his female star to get an abusive male to stay on the... Of course we would yeah. be talking. This, I'm sorry. That's This is an instance where I just don't buy that all of this is fueled by sexism or something the like that. The thing is that the, the, the statements put out, um, Olivia Wilde saying, you know, this is all gossip, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the part that I don't understand how... T- Today in 2022, right, with social media, with all this stuff out there for anyone to see that you can just say, you know, this is all gossip. No, why don't you just address it and say, you know, in a in a more well, honest how way. Address, I lied about firing True. that guy, and uh, I guess I badmouthed my star on, you know, on video. Oh. Like, there's no way for her to handle this. But you can say, well, you know, whatever. Certain things happen, but I'm here to talk about my movie. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll address it at, at another time. Just be a little more honest instead of saying, well, this all gossip is the internet just talking as Yeah, usual. I mean, question, uh, reporters at the press conference were shut down in Venice. Right, if right. They asked anything about right. the behind the scenes stuff, like the Shia LaBeouf, like you were caught lying about your There's former star. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to ask you about it. Your star is not showing up at promotional events after a video landed of you bad-mouthing her. So, of course, the press wants to talk about it right there has to be a better plan of than just saying well this is just gossip and we're not going to answer it it's not gossip it's all on tape yeah um and it does create a huge buzz and and everyone is talking about it because it's harry styles obviously i mean the man has a ton of fans he's getting terrible reviews in the film though well he's not an actor he's not an actor he's not an actor and that's the thing um you know yeah, I don't understand why they keep hiring people. Who there were some act. hilarious viral moments of poor Chris Pine having to sit next to Harry as he was giving answers to various questions. Really? Oh my God. And he was zoning out and he was all but rolling his eyes at him. I mean, at one point, he, Harry openly said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And wow, at another point, Harry was like, I really love this movie because it's like really a movie. Like he was so inarticulate oh and, and you know, whatever else you could say about Chris Pine, he's put the work in. He's oh, been an yeah, actor for 20 course, years. Like course. he may his, be a nepotism baby, his but his father was an actor. I mean, there's right. a whole family history here of acting, uh, not Harry Styles. I mean, I love his music. He's adorable. And, and I don't it, mind but... any pop star trying to break into films, but this is just about the worst way to do it. Anyway, um, 
best of luck to everybody involved, yeah. especially Olivia Wilde. I feel she truly mishandled things in a very unprofessional way in a lot of ways. But I, I still also think she's a talented director who right. deserves to keep. I certainly hope this doesn't put a damper on her directorial career because that would be right. That would be sexist. Uh, a lot of a I lot agree. of male directors have done behavior far worse than and that survived yeah. and won Oscars afterwards. Yeah. So this should in, in a perfect world, this should have no effect on Olivia Wilde's right. career. It's just a footnote that was very entertaining to watch and led everyone to believe for 24 hours that that um harry styles spit on chris yeah. pine in full view of a row of camera <laughs> well, which was silly shout out to Gemma chan though she survived hasn't said a she word she's just like smiling and wearing a beautiful louis vuitton dress and just like all right i'm here just yes. smiling <laughs> uh so that i think is all we're gonna say on that it was very entertaining to watch unfold i think this is pretty much the end of the drama because florence is not going not to doing anything else yeah yeah um, but I do have to question a little bit the professionalism here. Uh, maybe, I don't know, she's being a little unprofessional here. Um, I don't think so. No? I don't mm, think so. She's all but being humiliated by her director. That is true, but you still have to promote your work. I don't know. I'm just questioning. Maybe she not talked, obviously not talked to Olivia Wilde, but, <coughs> and avoid her the entire time, but, but be present there for everything else about the movie. Anyway, just a question. Yeah. I don't blame Flo at all. I really don't. Uh, she put the time in and she mm -hmm. gave it her best shot. By all accounts, she is the best part of the film. Um, but this whole rollout has been a mess and it hasn't been her fault. And it resulted in a video that could have been personally embarrassing for I her. That I agree. That she decided to say, fuck all y'all. So I think she's coming out of this better. Mm -hmm. I think trying to grin and bear it through a bunch of uh, promotional events with a director who said something like that. I mean, all she said was something like, Miss Flo needs to get over it. But it was still an incredibly dismissive thing to say, especially in regards to a man who is that That's problematic. The point. That's the point. When you say she needs to get over it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot bigger than that. It, it's the fact that you're dismissing everything that this man did and that you want him in, you know, in the movie anyway. Right. And, you know, whatever. Whatever everybody else thinks. Agreed. Um... What else? I think that's all we're going to say on that. So yeah. moving on to House of the Dragon. I have to pause every single time because I'm going to say Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and part of that is, first off, the similarity of the titles. But part of that actually is deliberate. In both cases, they want you to think that this yeah. is the Game of Thrones. I mean, House of the Dragon has the exact same music. Theme music. Yeah. Uh huh. All the same settings, all the same families. So they just want you to make that connection. And yes, I mean, technically, the name of uh, Prime's series is The Lord of the Rings, Colon the Rings right. of Power. And if you pay attention to the dialogues, I mean, <laughs> there is a lot of um, lines that pay homage to, to, you know, the original movies. Uh, you can see that every now and then. Um, yeah, I mean, so they, they 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 want you to have that connection because uh, they want you to come back and keep watching, especially what happened with Game of Thrones because everyone was very unhappy with the way the well, show Well, I'm ended. surprised they're making that analogy so strongly because I, I honestly thought going into this that House of the Dragon was uh, operating at, at a disadvantage because people were so soured right. on how Game of... So it actually surprised me how much they were working to remind mm -hmm. you of that series, even though it ended... Um, you know, there were a lot of bad feelings in the way it ended. I have to say, I was watching... Um, 
the other night. I just sort of stumbled into it in, in my research on House of the Dragon. Remember all those reaction videos when, spoiler, Arya killed the Night King? Mm-hmm. And people were going completely insane in bars and everything like that. And it, it was such a great yes, moment yes. that we sometimes forget. I think sometimes it's sort of like with Lost where everyone just decides that the whole series sucked because the last two or three episodes weren't great. Um, where people just want to cast that entire last season of, of Game of Thrones as something that was terrible to watch. But it really, it, no. there were a lot of great moments. There it were, was just the way it ended right. that was terrible. And, and and it was an epic show in the sense that, I mean, the costumes were insane. The sets were insane. Everything was beautiful. And, and most of the actors could act and do a good job. And um, yeah, I still remember watching the first episode. I mean, the first episode, I still yeah, have yeah, that yeah. In, my high, in my mind. Because um, it was so, wow, I mean... I hadn't seen anything like that in a while. So, yes, I love the show until the end. Uh, I mean, the last episode is, is a joke. Before we get further into right. the um, Lord of the Rings, because I know I could probably get stuck talking about that all day long, <laughs> let's let's revisit um, the third episode of House of the Dragon, right. which aired this past Sunday. Uh, it was the one where they leapt forward in time three years. We find out that Alicent and um, King Viserys are now married. They have one two-year-old son, Aegon. It's his. They're celebrating his name day, and she is extremely pregnant with their second child. Um, and Rhaenyra is still the petulant little princess who uh, is causing problem problems for Viserys, and Viserys remains the um, ineffectual sort of weak king that he. Is, is turning right, out to right, be. Um, I have to say, when I saw the screener of this episode, I was like, Oof, man, there's nobody on this show that I like. And um, that's true. I'm not someone I... I'm not someone who thinks that you have to like everyone in or the story. Or root for someone, yeah. No. no, and I mean, in the end, uh, there truly weren't very many likable people in Game of Thrones. Right. But they were very, very good. Well, let's put it this way. There were truly very many, few, very few innocent people in Game of Thrones. Um, maybe Bran, and to a certain level Sansa, um, but the rest of them were all tainted, including Arya, in many different ways. They uh, right, um, and they, a lot of them were just terrible, terrible characters. Like Cersei was a horrible person, but wonderful. <laughs> exactly. There's a way to write characters like that where you want you kind of root wonderful. for these awful people, and it was the same thing with Daenerys. They were very good about Daenerys, which is they turned her into like this you go girl style of heroine. Um, but in the end, she was as crazy as her father and as crazy as most of the other Targaryens, and she was just as bad. I think I thought that was sort of the point of Game of Thrones, which is right. that nobody wins the Game of Thrones. It's just, you know, it keeps going on and on and destroying lives, and, and people will always seek power in, right. in that way. Um, I, I, House of the Dragon hasn't done that yet for me. It has not created a character where I'm like, except for maybe Rhaenyse, because I really liked that actress, the the king's cousin who was passed over to be queen. So far, she's the only one where I'm like, I'm on your side. She's, she's you're, good, yeah. You're kind of cynical and all. But the thing is, she's not that major a player in the story. And it's really about Alicent and um, and Rhaenyra. And and also right now, it's about Viserys and Daemon. And all of these characters are just not that great. Alicent... I kind of have an issue with how the show is portraying her because I think they are um, making her just a little too 
uh, compliant and silent and inscrutable. Right. It's like you cannot tell what does this girl, now woman, I mean, she is supposed to be a couple years older than Rhaenyra. And um, so I would, and Rhaenyra was named, I think, as 17 in this episode. So I would put Allison at about 19. They are, that's nothing like their ages in the books. In right. the books, Allison is like six years older than Rhaenyra and um, only about 10 years younger than her husband. They really fold around with the um, Age. ages. And I, I, as the story unfolds, and it will, you'll see this in the next episode, which I'm not going to spoil, but as the story unfolds, you can see why they did that. And part of that is that they are unlike, I mean, Game of Thrones definitely had points to be, to make about women in a feudal system in a in a royal system and 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 the sexism and the well obviously all, like so many of them were raped and the violence that they are they are subjected to but house of the dragon really wants to make some points about um their for lack of a better term their sexual service uh, they are expected to service much much older men right they are as queen emma put in the in the first episode royal wombs they are literally just there to sexually satisfy much older men and provide them with heirs and it's this has always been true of uh of feudal patriarchal societies in history so it's clear that they're really that is the focus of this more so than game of thrones was they really are because alicent and rhaenyra are the central characters unlike say Jon snow or ned stark or whoever you thought was the central character at the beginning of game of thrones uh and because this is clearly a succession drama it is not about um, you know, magic rings. It's not even about night walkers or anything like that, or winter is coming. There's no grander um, story so far. It's literally just... Just about the family. It's just a succession drama. So the focus is on the women. The focus is on their childbearing. The focus is on how they are paired off with their potential husbands. Of course, most of them have no say in the matter whatsoever. So the, the show is unpacking that. And I like that, and I think it explains why they, they fudged the age differences a little. Right. It would be different if, as it was in the books, Allison was a good six years older than Rhaenyra, because then you don't have that same feeling that your best friend just betrayed you by becoming right, your right. stepmother kind of thing. Um, and it's better to have Viserys as a middle-aged man instead of a, you know, he's supposed to be only about 30 when he marries Allison. Um, because it helps render him as ineffectual. I mean, I'm a middle-aged man. I don't like making that analogy, but if he was some strapping young king, it, it would be harder to make the point that he was weak and ineffectual and right. not right for the... It's also why they are, I believe, writing up his illness a little bit more uh, than they did in the book. To his, justify why they're so His mysterious about, illness, yeah. yeah. Having um, a new heir, yeah. I loved seeing the hunt. It was a lot of fun seeing a royal hunt. But apparently part of this was done because George R.R. R. Martin was really annoyed that in the first season of Game of Thrones, King Baratheon went on a hunt and it was just him and two guys out in the woods together. And Not he the whole and he made the point. Yeah. He was like, royal hunts in medieval yeah. periods would have been and exactly what you saw this week. Even today, <laughs> it's a no, whole... No, it's not like that. No, but even today, there's a whole group of people going and um, anyway. It's a huge social event and uh, it's not it's not just people traipsing off into woods. If And this episode made it very clear that it is 
um, sort of a grotesque event because he doesn't even go on a hunt. It's other people who capture this deer, and then he it it was the stag actually, and I actually made Lorenzo oh no I fast forward through that scene. the scene started and I had already seen it and I was like, look, you're not going to like this no. and it's really hard to watch. So just fast forward through yeah, it. I, I couldn't watch it at all. Um, um, anyway. We're going to have some things to say about the fashion of the show again, but I'm going to wait until this next, we're going to do it every two episodes. So when episode four drops on Sunday, we'll have something up right. on Monday or Tuesday. I am happy to report that the costumes are getting better and more elaborate. And you can look at this like, um, a costume designer in this case, Janie Termeem, um, getting her feet under her right. several episodes in. Or you can look at it like uh, Rhaenyra and Allison in particular, their costumes get much more elaborate. Well, they're getting older, they're getting older. and they're moving yeah. up in power. Allison went from being the hand's daughter to the the queen. Like, right. obviously, there's going to be a difference in how she right. dresses. Right. She wore a stunning, like, russet red uh, velvet and brocade maternity robe during this whole and, episode. And you can see her hair and every all it's the more accessories elaborate. and everything, and, and a lot more elaborate. Yeah, yeah Rhaenyra wore a hunting outfit, which um, was similar to a lot of the outfits that Daenerys wore over, and and like her dragon riding outfit, which is a long cloak or a long coat over a pair of pants and knee high boots. So they are really signaling the Daenerys. Um, yes. Al, you know the similarities Comparison, there. I, guess, I mean, yeah. I don't think uh, Millie Alcock looks all that much like Amelia Clark, but they are styling her as much as possible to look like her to remind you of her at all times. And again, that's an interesting take because you know if you watched Game of Thrones and they're trying to remind you of of Daenerys, well, we all remember how that ended. Like we can't <laughs> forget how that ended. Right. So there's a certain ominous quality to everything that Rhaenyra is doing to her whole character. Uh, and I think that's smart. By making her look so much like Daenerys, it ne- it cements in the the idea in the minds of the audience that um, you know there is no good outcome when a Targaryen seeks power. That uh, Game of Thrones right. pretty much proved that, and this whole series is based on Targaryens trying to get that throne. Right. So. It is, in a lot of ways, darker. There's a lot less... Fan- Even though there's more dragons, there's there's less fantasy. It feels more like a feudal European medieval society right. dealing with a succession crisis. And um, we're going to get into comparisons between that and the Rings of Power. But I am really liking it. I didn't love this episode, but I will say that episode four, which you haven't seen yet, I actually really loved. Right. And it's when, it, for me it all starts falling into place and I can feel the flavor of the show sort of establishing itself. Right, it's right. not just Game of Thrones, you know, part two. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, um, I was watching episode three and, and, and I just decided to like, all right, I'm gonna, just going to relax and not try to, you know, think about what's going to happen next. Just enjoy the scene. And then when, I think when you do that, you enjoy the dialogues and, and, and the slow pace of the show. And you just, you know, just pay attention to what they're saying. There's a lot of subtext, I think. Yeah. Um, and if you pay attention to the dialogues and just enjoy the scene and enjoy what they're talking about. And, and you know, again, the slow pace, it's very, very slow. But if you, you know, if you find with that, I think you enjoy the show. I also think the show is doing something great because Game of Thrones, you pretty much had things happen happening, obviously, but it didn't have any major battle until the end of, of the show. Um, mm, that's not true. Well, like not, I don't know. I just feel like the, the there show. There were a lot of battles. There were a lot of battles. Oh, 
Anyway, I just feel that this show pay attention to whatever's going on around a, a little more. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Damon going fight. I don't know. It just it gives it gives that too. If you're just not interested in conversation and family, you know, troubles. Right. Uh, you also get to see the battles, and um, I mean that scene with Damon was incredible. I mean, it was incredible, and it was also darkly humorous because the you know he landed his dragon on one of his subjects. Oh my and, god! And I know. Killed him. And again, I don't think things like that, most of that stuff in Game of Thrones is there to make a point. And that point is Daenerys, the Targaryens do not give a flying fig about right. anybody else. It's pure power seeking. It's not even about um, ethics or grander, you know, uh, you know, ideals or anything like that. It is pure power seeking and they will literally squash their own supporters yeah. in their pursuit of power. It's not subtle. In, and I said that before about Game of Thrones when, when uh, Daenerys's dragon melted the, the Iron Throne. It was like, all right, they're not being subtle. Same thing with King Viserys and, you know, his fingers are falling off because the throne is literally killing him. Right. It's not subtle, but that's fine. No, I agree. But I, I do think that... Uh, Damon, the character, I mean, and the performance of Matt uh, Damon, it's it's just fantastic because you can see that he is a horrible person. <laughs> He's yes. not a great person. <laughs> but who is a good person in this? Right, exactly. Nobody really is. And again, that's okay. Um, I do think that Game of Thrones benefited because even though it was full of bad people or not great people, you were able to root for certain people because you felt that they were fighting for ideals that were more, not as self like Tyrion Lannister sure he was power seeking and he was manipulative and all this other stuff but um he was also you know terribly terribly treated by his whole family and in right. the whole court you know he was ridiculed his whole life and everything so there was a certain sense of course you're going to root for that guy Daenerys same thing you know she was sold off you know to and and to be you know, to the Dothraki, and she was more or less sexually abused, even though she wound up falling in love with her husband, which I wouldn't even get into that trope. Um, but again, even though at the end it turned out very badly, and she really, the show made the point that she never should have been in pursuit of power, you were rooting for her because no one believed in her, everyone cast her aside, everyone mistreated her. So to a certain extent, you could feel that way about Cersei. She had a terrible, terrible marriage. And a terrible husband and a father who didn't love her. You know, all that stuff. And they were able to... Arya and Sansa and Jon Snow, they all had goals and quests and things that they wanted fixed in their lives uh, that you could root for them. This is not a criticism of House of the Dragon, but it does sometimes make it harder to really get into it all because nobody has that. No one's... No one's warning us about winter or the Night King or us trying to establish themselves in the face of terrible, you know, they're all incredibly powerful, privileged people right. who are trying to seek more power. Uh, and it's very clear that any one of them would fuck over any one of any of the other ones almost immediately, um, which sort of does take the tension out of it, like, because you just kind of know... Because this is George R. R. Martin, because this is a succession drama, because it's the Targaryens, well, you know this is all going to end in blood. You know, I mean, I'm not really giving anything away. You just know right. this is all going to end incredibly violently, and no one's really going to get what they want. Not really. So it's it's just a matter of joining in on the familial drama and the succession drama week after week and not really getting caught up in expecting more than that. It is in some ways a smaller show. 
but than Game of Thrones. But uh, and it's definitely a smaller show than Lord of the Ring than The Rings of Power. But um, I so far I'm really enjoying that sort of tight focus of the show. Right. Um, it does feel like you're watching a medieval drama, except dragons show up every now and then. And they so far they haven't overused the dragons. And if you look at it in that light, if you try not to compare it too much a Game of Thrones or to have this the same sort of expectations of grandeur that Game of Thrones delivered to you, it traveled the whole length and breadth of that world. It showed you all the different cultures and families and kingdoms. And I'm sure we'll get out of, of Dragonstone and King's Landing at some point and visit other areas of, of Westeros. But for now, it is very much a family drama with a small group of people, all of whom are already extremely, incredibly powerful people. So there is no underdog. Not even Rhaenyra is an underdog in this story. Not even Alicent is an underdog in this story. Um and I think that's interesting because you know, and this is an allusion to the the fans who do know where this story is going to go, eventually things get divided into two very specific camps. Right. And the story is set up in a way so that they both have decent arguments as to why they're in there. You know, it, so you ha- as a viewer are going to have to decide, do I support X or do I support Y right. in this central conflict? Because they both have valid reasons. Um, I'm interested in seeing it unpack. Do you have anything else about the episode you want to say before we get into Lord of the Rings and comparing them? No, I, I still think visually it's beautiful. Um, it, I it, do. It is getting better, actually. And the, uh, you mentioned the costumes. I think all this is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and uh, What about but, the crab feeder? Oh, my God. I, see, that's the thing. I, not, I guess we can mention it but i wanted to see more of, of him but you know it was it was short-lived they really gave that character a hell of a build-up and then it turned out to be not i mean everything that happened in the stepstones is going to have you know repercussions going forward but um i'm almost sorry that character was killed off as quickly as he was because he was unique nobody unique. in game the, of thrones the looked, look yeah the look was unique um, just so you know, his skin condition was grayscale, which um, Shireen Baratheon had in Game of Thrones and Ser Jorah Mormont had in Game of Thrones. It's that, you know, skin disease that they have. And the the partial mask that he was wearing, I didn't realize this. I read a report this way. I don't think that this actually makes a lot of sense, but it's the masks that the guards were wearing in Marine when... Um, uh, Daenerys dis- declared herself queen of Marine, and oh, and the and the the nobility of that city wound up fighting against her, the slavers and everything. And they wear that the guards oh. in the city wear that mask. I'm not sure what the what the Symbolism connection. Means. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but I was like, oh, all right, that's a little callback to Game of Thrones, even though that takes place 200 years later. It um, was an incredible look. I it mean, was. It was an incredible look, and I'm really uh, sorry that they didn't. I do think the character was a little silly because I guess I have to accept that there's flesh-eating crabs in Westeros <laughs> and that someone could actually be killed by just putting crabs on them. I mean, it did. It was creepy, but I, I was like, all right, I guess these are like special magic yeah. crabs or whatever. Um, and that's more or less where we stand on that episode in terms of recapping it. I I maintain that all the acting across the board is really, really good. Uh, including Emily, is it Emily Carey who plays the young Allison, or is she the one that plays the old Allison? I can't remember. I know Millie Alcock plays the young Rhaenyra. Yeah, play, yeah. They're both excellent. They're both really, really good. Um, and in roles that are a little unforgiving, because Rhaenyra's a brat in almost every single scene, even though you 
you understand why she is. And Allison is so quiet and inscrutable and compliant in all of her scenes. But I think both actresses are doing pretty good work. I, I think they are. Um, they're young, but they're doing a good job. Yeah. I mean, you pay attention to them. And it's, it's when you lose focus that, that you know that they're not doing a good job. Now, um, one of the... Um, things we want to touch on today is the uh, backlash against shows like House of the Dragon and The Rings of Power. And and also earlier, about a month ago, when The Sandman came out, which we recapped extensively on the site, because there's always a certain level of genre fandom, fantasy, science fiction, comic book fandom, um, that always reacts very badly when anyone tries to center a woman in a, in a fantasy story or uh, put people of, color, of any color other than white right. in a fantasy. So there's always this sort of backlash. And uh, before I get into that, there's a common refrain that people say in response to that, which is, oh, you can accept the dragons, but you can't accept this, that, and the other thing. Um and this has come up with regard... Uh, now, um, The Rings of Power has received the same level of... Uh, criticism. criticism. Yeah. Not the same level as Lord of the Rings, because Lord of the Rings is diverse all up and down its cast. And um, right now, The Rings of Power has the um, Corliss Valerian, played by Steve Toussaint, and later his two children and, and his brother. Um, and they're the only one... As far as I can tell, they're the only people... They're the only black people in the story. Um, whereas um, the Rings of Power, it's it's all over. It's all over. It's yeah. an extremely diverse cast, and it's not just black people. It's Latino people. It's it's a, um, South Asian people. It's a lot of different people, which is great. But um, there was one of the criticisms of uh, the Rings of Power. Oh God, all these shows, House of the Dragon. One of the criticisms of House <laughs> of the Dragon is that it focuses so much on the subjugation of women, the sexual abuse of women, the, there's that scene that everybody talked about and it turned a lot of people off where Queen Emma dies in childbirth and it's extremely graphic in the first episode. And a lot of the criticism of the show will use that same framing, like, oh, because, you know, people who defend the show and say that these scenes are like that are in there because in a system like this, women would have been maltreated as as shown in history. And then other people will come forward and say, it's not history, it's a fantasy. If you can put rat dragons in the show, right. you can put anything in the show. You don't have to show women being raped, women being treated as royal wombs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To which I would say, if you don't want to watch that kind of fantasy, I fully support boycotting it or speaking out against it. or ever. But in this case, I have to say, it is kind of specifically the point of the story here. The dragons aren't the point of the story. It is the social s system that they're all operating under, which is so damaging and, and exploitive and everything like that. I'm not saying you have to show rapes, and I'm not saying you have to show horrible deaths during childbirth. That's a creative decision. But I don't buy this idea that because the show has dragons, they could toss everything out, any sort of, you know, there shouldn't be any racism there. And you can do that. You can absolutely choose to do that. In fact, uh, I'm pretty sure that's how the Rings of Power is operating. Um, but the uh, the House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones and all of George R.R. R. Martin's work in particular is, in, a, in, a, in some respects, a rebuttal to Tolkien. Obviously, he has the highest respect for Tolkien, and he doesn't find it lacking in any way. But he wanted to do a Tolkien-esque story. He takes so much from Tolkien, and it's very obvious, and he's very open about that. Um, but 
he wants to talk about all of the things that Tolkien doesn't talk about in his stories. And mm-hmm. that will be things like um, not just sex, not just incredible violence, because Tolkien violence is all sort of it happens, but he doesn't he doesn't get into the particular <laughs> right, right, right. he doesn't talk about eviscerating people or anything like that. Um but I think House of the Dragon specifically and Game of Thrones specifically has a, a focus on that aspect of that style of life in a feudal medieval style system, dragons or no, women are likely to be subjugated. And I think it's good and interesting that there's a very Tolkien-esque sort of fantasy out there that is devoted to that when so few of them actually are. So I understand people having reluctance to watching this show, especially women. I completely understand why you wouldn't want to watch it. But I don't think, I don't agree with criticizing the show for that. I think this is, they are doing this on purpose and it's not to be salacious. It is to make a point. And especially in this story, Mm -hmm. which is all about royal wombs and women being shuffled around a a chessboard. um, I think it's right. And I don't think that criticism is warranted. That's Mm -hmm. all I have to say about that. Do you have any thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, I make choices. Like I didn't watch that scene, you know, and you make choices. Um, uh, I, but I do understand. I mean, you can have a show like like House of the Dragon not have brutality and and and, right. and horrible things happening. Right. I mean, that's part of the story. Uh, if it's that, that's not your thing, then then don't watch it. I watch it because I do appreciate the work. I think it's a beautiful piece of work mm-hmm. um, from everybody involved. Um, and then you know, if if it comes to a point where I, I mean anything with animals, if if there's a point I don't want to watch, it. and I have to say, first episode with the birth, I. I mean, I could not look at... Right. I and mean, the, it was very hard for me to watch that as well. The killing of that stag was uh, brutal Ooh, no. on purpose. And right. they, they made you listen to its dying screams on purpose. Cause, okay, uh, I don't want to know. <laughs> because a point was being made there. Right, I understand. Um, and I can understand not wanting to see that stuff, but I don't agree with attacking the creators. They're, they're showing you that stuff for a reason. They're focusing on that stuff for... Similar as I made, in, I made this comparison in a previous discussion... Similar to the astonishing amount of rapes that occur in Outlander. Um, I didn't ultimately agree with how the, sh- the story handled that stuff, and I stopped watching the show. But there is an argument to be made that if you're going to look at, a, especially a woman from the 20th century traveling back to the 18th. Right. right. Um, she's going to be subjected to she's that. She's going to be subjected to things that are, you know, yeah. brutal and harsh. Right. Um, I understood the argument. I didn't like the way it was handled in the, on the show. I've never read the books. Um, and that's the point. Fantasy is not there to um, just just flit away from reality and tell you stories that have nothing to do with it. The best fantasy, the best science fiction, was always in answer to actual real-world things. Tolkien famously hated allegories, so I will not claim that Lord of the Rings is an allegory for World War I, but it clearly, clearly informs everything in the story. I mm-hmm. mean, Tolkien was in World War. He was literally in the trenches. And so much of that about the horror and the evil of warfare comes out in his book, books, because he is making a point about the real world using magic rings and elves. And it's the same thing with, with George R. R. Martin, House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones. Just because it has dragons doesn't mean it's wrong to depict rape. 
Um, if you have a, unless you're doing it to be salacious, but I don't think anyone ever did on, on, on either of these shows, it was there to make a point about brutality and exploitation. It was there to make a point about how women are treated in systems like this. Yes, Game of Thrones absolutely went over the overboard a couple of times and House of the Dragon may at some point do the same thing. Yeah, right. Because both of those shows clearly like to indulge in really dark and brutal scenes. So we'll see. But, um... I want to move on to Ring the Rings of Power, and I want to say as much as I love the Rings of Power, I will come right out and say at the top of this conversation, right now, the House of Power, the House, oh my God. House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon is a superior show than the Rings of Power. Right. Based on measurable aspects like the acting and specifically the writing. The right. scripts are smarter, more well-written and um, more adult. And I don't mean, um, you know, sexual. I just mean that that the conversations are nuanced, the characters are complicated, that sort of thing. And it makes it uh, more engrossing, I think, to a modern audience. You really have to change what your expectations are when you switch over to the Rings of Power, which is trying very hard to appropriate Tolkien, whereas, you know, uh, House of the Dragon is simply adapting George R. R. Martin. Right. There's no extrapolation directly there. from the book. Yeah, yeah, and he's involved in the show. Tolkien is not obviously not involved in the Rings of Power. I truly adore. We have recaps and reviews of the first two episodes up, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I did adore it. Um, it's beautiful. It's stunning. They spent an insane amount of money. Yeah, um, so and their love of the source material is so clear right. and yes, obvious. Yes. Um. But it feels light. Are you, do you mean that in a good way or a bad way? No, I don't know in what way I mean, but I, I just mean it's light. It's not very deep, you know, every now and then. I mean, it's beautiful. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I don't know. Sometimes the dialogues are just so <clears throat> like shallow in a way. They're not very deep. They don't bring, a, you know, it. Yeah. That to it, me is a criticism. I, um, I do. I do really like the show. And I hope it keeps going all five seasons that it has planned. I think it probably will no matter what because they've spent so much money on acquiring right. the rights that they're just going to see this one through. It is a high-quality show. It absolutely beats uh, House of the Dragon in things like production design and digital effects and and especially costume design. Costumes, yeah. Just stunning. They have stunning. the money. Anything that, paid, <laughs> that was paid for, they, they yeah. have the money. Uh, I would say the acting is not quite on the same level. No. Um, some of the actors are very good. Some of them are okay. Most of them are very like sort of television drama actors. They're not, yeah. you know, whereas you, you, when you get into House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, those people are like theater and movie actors. Right. Which I don't understand because they purposely, obviously, you can see that they, they don't pick famous actors for the, this type of show. It was, right? For the Rings of Power. Yeah, for yeah, shows yeah. like that. I, I mean, mean, almost they, they no do, one on that right. show. Right. They have some people that you know, uh, but in general, they're just young people. I don't understand because of that. I don't, why don't you focus a little more on acting? You know, if you're going to pick someone who is, I not know. Famous. Sometimes I wonder if they just pick people because of the way they looked. Right. I think Morvith Clark, which I can't believe that's how you pronounce her name, but it is oh, Morvith. She's good. Is great as Galadriel. I think she is sometimes given some extremely painful dialogue. Right. Uh, and um, this sort of gets into my. It looks like Tolkien, but sometimes it really doesn't feel like Tolkien. And that's the part that I'm like, ooh, 
you need to fix this. Um, part of it is, is you know, the great thing about uh, Peter Jackson, Philippa Boyens, and Fran Walsh, who wrote the scripts for the films, the Lord of the Rings films, is and they if you've ever watched the um, the appendices on the on the Blu-rays or whatever, they will talk about this how they will uh, bring a piece of dialogue or a piece of writing from somewhere else in Tolkien and just put it in a character's mouth, even right. though that character didn't say it in the book. But they wanted that line, and they would say that. I remember Philip Boyne saying it was important that someone said that said because that. Tolkien yes. said that, and the result is that even though it's a scripted trilogy of movies with a very sort of Hollywood arc to it. Everyone sounds like Tolkien, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Not with ten, not with ten thousand men's would you do this? It is folly. Like the, they don't talk like natural people; they talk like Tolkien characters. And subsequently, so many of those lines became iconic. Right. Um, people m- remember those lines. You know, no man bows. You bow to no one. That sort of thing. That sort of formal, formal language that Tolkien used. That you find in a book that you wanted in a show. And sometimes yeah. it's like, oh shit, you all sound like a CBS family drama sometimes. <laughs> it does, especially in the next episode, I'm sorry to say, there's a couple scenes, I like the episode, but there are a couple scenes where I'm like, this is pure family drama bullshit, and Tolkien was about a lot of stuff, but he really wasn't about family drama. Um, it wasn't, yeah. The other thing I have that I wish the show wouldn't do. I really wish it wouldn't do. They they introduced a lot of characters and a lot of subplots. And you can sort of see the arc. You can sort of see how they're all going to somewhat come together. They may not all meet each other before the end. But, but they're going to be important. They're all fighting the same right. battle. And actually, that's very Tolkien, to have characters on different globes fi- do in different storylines, doing different things, and sometimes never meeting. But... There's so many of these being introduced all at once that the show just bounces around from scene to scene in a very televisual manner. It's just here's five minutes with the hobbits. Here's five minutes with the elves. Here's right. five minutes with. And humans. that's not how the books were. Written. Oh my god, Tolkien yeah. is is characterized by spending long, long, long periods of time with just one group of people, and then going over to another right. one and sort of rolling back the clock to see what they were doing. And the films had to deal with that in a way that made sense for movies so they also bounce from scene to scene but they were pretty good about staying bending with, a lot of yeah time, don't yeah. cut back and forth every five minutes to different characters spend 20 minutes with right. the elves and then spend 20 you know that to me right. would feel more tolkien-esque um but actually we said we were going to talk about the sh- the shows in comparison to each other so instead of getting into this this review area let's talk about the differences between game of thrones and the lord of the rings and i'm just going to use those because we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about universes right, right. i think the, the first one is the visuals i mean obviously um the rings of power it's it's more beautiful and you you you, you pay attention to every detail uh the sets the costumes and everything so they spent more money there also the light it's a lot brighter um, Roxana Haddadi, who's one of our favorite critics, wrote has a whole piece, I think I retweeted it, that she put up this morning <laughs> yeah. on Vulture about how, you know, one show is literally light and the other show is literally dark. dark like you yeah. just can't. And this is part of the aesthetic of both shows. Um, uh, there's no magic or there is magic in, in Martin, Georgia, but the Game of Thrones was famous, the TV show, for downplaying it quite a bit. Melisandre was the only sort of magic-based character, and they were very limited in what she could do, and 
they they clearly made the point that sure she's got some abilities but this stuff is not reliable and it's not like right. tolkien where magic is big and obvious yeah. and there are just magic items all over the world that can be found and utilized magic swords and that sort of thing so everything sparkles and it's the light everywhere i mean you can see every detail of everything because the light is just very very bright but, and I agree with all of that, and I just think that sometimes there is, especially now that these two shows are airing side by side, and they're clearly staking their claim against each other. Um, when, when The Rings of Power came out last week, um, HBO released the first episode of House of the Dragon, I think on YouTube, so that everybody, even if you could, so they're tr- clearly like, you know, vying for the same sort of emotional space, and they're asking to be compared the opening one of the opening scenes in the rings of power had the elves climbing an ice wall into an ice castle right. and, and killing an ice creature and i mean this is all straight out of game it was obvious an obvious wink to to you know the night watch and the and the right. night king and all that um but i don't personally don't want want people to assume that because one show is literally visually light full of light and full of beautiful imagery. And the other show goes out of its way, not only to be dark, but to be, I mean, you just don't see a lot of the beauty of it, nature. Yeah. It's its stone rooms or crab infested beaches. And that's it. There's not a lot. I mean, every once in a while, someone walks through a garden or something. But um, Martin was all about court intrigue and power seeking. So all of his stuff is going to be centered on seats of power, in other words, buildings, buildings and castles right, and right. dungeons. Tolkien was all about the about natural nature. world, yeah. love of the natural world, right. protecting the natural world from um, exploitation and evil. Because one of the great, um, uh, obviously, he, the World War One was horrible because of all the people it killed. But I, he was deeply affected by the way it destroyed entire, you know, habitats and everything. The way it just turned forests into mud fields and that sort of thing. And this is very much in his work, you know, of like, um, what's his name? Saruman cutting down all the trees and right. everything. And uh, you see that again. <laughs> you uh. see that in this. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Ooh. Wait, did anyway. you see it in the last episode? Yes, I think. Uh, third episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Right. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. You don't see that. In the th- I almost All gave right. something oh, away. Okay. All right. Anyway. There is, in an upcoming, there is a scene with the with elves really, really um, offended by a tree being chopped down. I'll just put it at that. And I, I watched that and I was like, okay, they, and this is my point with the show. They do. They get Tolkien. I understand it. They get what the themes of Tolkien right. are. And I feel like all of that's in there. But sometimes it doesn't sound like Tolkien. And the, the pacing of the story doesn't feel like Tolkien. Anyway, back to my point about Martin versus Tolkien. Martin wasn't... He wanted a dark world. He he writes about a world lit only by candlelight. Whereas... <laughs> Tolkien writes about a world lit by the the light from magical trees. Yeah, it's butterflies. The it's, elves it's, turn yeah. into the sun, or I'm sorry, the Valar turn into the sun and the moon, and and items that glow and sparkle, and even elves themselves are written about as have, giving off a certain amount of light, although they're not shot that way in in this, and I kind of don't like that. Someone once said that all the someone online on social media said that all the elves in the Rings of Power look like they manage a store, where. <laughs> Whereas 
all the ones in the Jackson <laughs> films were like these incredibly beautiful. Oh and it is a little true. The Morbid Clark oh is beautiful God. and they shoot her correctly. But when they go to Linden and they show <laughs> Elrond and Gil- Gilgalad, I'm like, that's just, I'm sorry, that Benjamin Walker dude, it's, uh, he just doesn't look like an elf to me. He just uh, And the other thing is they, some of the elves have short hair, which I don't like at all. Yeah. The elves should have long hair. <laughs> I'm not a purist about these things, but that part, I'm like, elves should have long hair. Like, dwarves are supposed to have beards. Anyway, um, I, I keep trying to return to this point. Despite all this, I don't think Tolkien is any less nuanced than um, Martin. Right. Martin is very obvious about the dark parts of his world. He basically says, here, dark. This mm-hmm. is all dark. This person is terrible. Tolkien, it isn't just about magic rings and lovely little hobbits and beautiful elves. Um, much of the point of the uh, the Lord of the Rings the war of the ring is about people who are like power seeking or too blind to understand. Look at Denethor in Minas Tirith who, who uh, could not accept, hated his son Faramir, um, could not, was resentful of Gandalf and couldn't mount an attack. I couldn't even see the attack coming. And when it came, he wound up killing himself because he was venal and power seeking and small minded. And these sorts of characters are all throughout Tolkien. Um, Tolkien did talk about racial en- enmity. I always get that word wrong. You know, sort of mistrust between d- elves and dwarves and between um, elves and humans. Actually, the mistrust between the Numenorians and the elves is a major part of this story going forward. Right. And um, his point there, very subtle, was that when when groups of ostensibly good, righteous people fight with each other they cannot see the evil that's growing in front of them and they don't understand that the truly evil exploit exploit you know um minor power seekers and 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 you know grudges among um, groups of people and that sort of thing and all of this was in tolkien so he is a lot more nuanced than people understand sometimes uh and i would argue that he is just as nuanced as um George R. R. Martin. However, he's not as dark in his overall view of humanity. I think if you look at Lord, uh, Game of Thrones, its overall view of humanity is pretty dark. No one, no one's really all that right. great. Whereas Tolkien believes in heroism, believes in people who do things that are right because they are the right thing to right. do. And the Rings of Power is also about. They focus more <clears throat> on the journey. I mean, there is a whole process. You go through something. That's true. Um, and, you know, it's a journey. Every character go through a journey. And you can see that right now. Uh, you see these characters getting to go somewhere. Um, and and you just follow them. And, and, you know, they go through all kinds of things. And you just kind of watch them go through all that to, to get to a point where they, you know, right. achieve whatever they're, they, they started from. I agree. So uh, in terms of comparing the two shows, aside from the visuals um, and the ultimate outlook, which I do think Tolkien is more optimistic than Martin, I think they're both dealing with um, aspects and stories and and perspectives that are equally as dark right. and equally as nuanced in what they're saying about people. Um, it's just that Tolkien and the Rings of Power itself is is also very clearly um, about a a certain aesthetic. Uh, I mean, Tolkien wrote entire songs and created languages and that sort of, because he wanted to create an entire world that was, that had beauty in it. 
um, or as Samwise Gamgee said, a world worth fighting for, that the world is so beautiful and has so much potential that it is worth fighting for. Although I think that's strictly a line from the movies. I don't think that's Tolkien. Either way... um, I think it's it might be easy to look at the elves and the and the funny little dwarves and the and the uh, you know the glittering and the, all of that and the magic rings and all of that and think that um the rings of power is somehow lightweight in comparison to to uh House of the Dragon and while it's true they're not going to show any rapes they're probably not going to show any disembowelings or right. anything no one's intestines are going to slide out of their body on on the rings of power um, but I do think if you know where to look, if you look between the lines of what the show, what the characters are saying, and if you look at the big picture of the of the wars that they're fighting, um, the shows are the stories are largely dealing mm-hmm. with the same themes in in very similar ways. Now um, let's talk about the racism thing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I as I as I noted, um, the Sandman got this for doing things like casting uh, death as a, a black woman and she was a white woman in the comics or casting Lucifer as a woman when she, when she was a man in the comics, they got a lot of like review bombing and stuff like that. House of the dragon got the same thing with Steve Toussaint as Corliss Valerian being, you know, uh, a, a black man who is a, one of the most powerful Lords in Westeros. But, um, the rings of power are really getting it bad to the point that Amazon had to shut down, um, the review, uh, the review, uh, the, uh, whatever they call the it. user reviews, yeah. because they were just being review bombed by a bunch of racists. And, you know, I just wanted to, it was really cute. The original Hobbits, um, um, Elijah Wood and uh, Dominic Monaghan and, oh my God, what's the Scottish guy's name? Oh, wow. Um, Don't th- remember. Their they all came too. out yes. in, in shirts saying, you're all welcome here in Elvish with a bunch of elf and hobbit ears in every, you know, right. skin color on earth. And it was very touching. Um and I just think it's freaking sad that we're having these moments. I think it's a misrepresentation of Tolkien to think that he saw the world in purely uh right. white terms. It's true that he wrote he based um much of Middle Earth on English fantasy tropes and English mythology. The hobbits are clearly meant to be English um, country gentlemen in there, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Aragorn is borrowing quite a bit from things like King Arthur. Um, And I'm sure that being a man of his time, he was born in like 1890-something, in his mind, he probably did view most of these characters as white, but he was smart enough not to really assign... um, Detailed that in the detailed book. Detailed yeah. races to them. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, a lot of people say, hear the word fair, like he'll use the word fair to describe someone. Fair doesn't always mean light. It also means pretty. Mirror, mirror, who's the wall on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? Right. The, the queen wasn't asking if she was whiter than Snow White. She was asking if she was prettier than Snow White. Right. So when he uses fair to describe an elf, that doesn't mean that he, it's a fair-skinned elf. He means pretty. Right. He means elves are pretty. He also has used the term brown-skinned to talk about the Harfoots, which are the pre-Hobbit creatures uh, um, in the show. And there was a lot of, you know, anger that Lenny James, the um, black UK actor and comic, was cast as Sadok Burrs, I think, which is like the chieftain of the Harfoots. And he, it, honestly, I look at that, it, and I'm, I don't know, maybe this sounds like virtue signaling on my part. But I swear to God, I don't really notice that there's a black man among the hobbits. He's so perfect. He sounds just like all of them. He's got the language down. He's got the look down. After a second, it doesn't even register to yeah. me. Same thing with Ismael Cruz Cordova, who's playing Arendir. 
Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I gotta say, that guy, he's, he's, he's very good looking. He's very good looking on a red carpet, but man, does he have a face for film because they let him and yes. he just looks yes. Yes. drop dead gorgeous. He's one of the few elves. It's him and, and um, Galadriel that actually look like right. elves to me. And the fact that he's a brown skin, it just does not register. I wouldn't even think of it. Again, this might sound like virtue signaling, but I, I, I have to say that I, I, you know, I see all these actors playing these characters, and of course, I see that they're black, they're they're Latin. Um, uh, I do see that, but it doesn't bother me. I mean, it, I I don't stop to think about it. You right. Know, I just keep going with the character. I mean, otherwise, you have to assume if this is your argument that this is not what Tolkien intended, you have to assume that when Tolkien talks about the kingdoms of men and the you know the men of the Southlands and all of this, that literally every single man and woman in in Middle Earth is supposed to be white. Is that right. what you're saying? Especially because- when these books are all about the, you know all kinds of I mean various lands and various and races, people literal and races. dwarves yeah. are a race, elves right. are a race, right? So- Distant lands, you know, and all that. I mean, are you telling me that all these people are white? Well, the Haradrim in the uh, in the east who who um, are supposed to be who went with Sauron. They are sort of referred to in a way that makes like swarthy and like he makes it sound. Look, Tolkien had his, like I said, he was a man of his time, but um, there is no reason. This is not a historical saga, and there is literally no reason in the world in 2022 right. to be adapting it so that it adheres to whatever, what we think was the thinking of some Englishman born in the 19th century. There's just no reason for it. Right. These things can and should be interpreted. I think there's power in seeing a black elf or a black hobbit or a black dwarf. There's a dwarf princess. That's I mean, now you see Lord Corlett's in the African American, not African American, the British men black. And, right. And you see that blonde wig and that, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, he it looks, looks like a lion. Great. Yeah, it looks great. And, and he just, looks like he belongs. Right, the idea exactly. That these people exactly. don't look like they belong just is strange to me and i mean it's really easy to sit here and like i said virtue signal and just poo poo everyone who who is racist and blah 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 but to those of you who think well maybe they have a point do they do they really have a point is there some reason why everyone right. needs to look like kate blanchett or you know that sort or orlando <laughs> right. bloom or right, whatever right. i i can admit that in you know 2000 2001 2002 when the trilogy came out um, I really wasn't sitting there in the theater thinking, oh, there should be more black people in this. And I, I mean, that's to my discredit. Yeah, but but things have changed also. Um, so. But now I would yeah. feel weird watching a show, even uh, right. a Game of Thrones show, uh, where everybody was white. I just, there's no need for that. I think that um, was the beauty of The Sandman, is that you saw so many right. black actors. Right. And I'm like, this is great. I mean, you know, it's right. part, I mean, you incorporate any race, you know, in the story, like it belongs there. Right. Um, the fact, the bottom line is that the people who complain about these things think that white is the default correct race and every other race depicted, there has to be a reason for it. There has to be exactly. an explanation. And there is no reason or explanation for it. It's just that the world isn't full of white people and our stories shouldn't be full of them either. I agree. I agree. Anyway, on that little serious yeah, note, wow. we have got to pack our bags and head to the airport. So um, thank you all for listening in. Take care of yourselves this week. We'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or desks. Until then, love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.